Thanks to burgeoning technology, it's a brand new day for banks. But as expectations of customers change, so too must sales practices. It's no longer bank versus bank, but banks versus e-commerce giants that deliver smooth, fast service. How can banks seize the day with technology that delivers better experiences and peerless sales performance while making the most of abundant storehouses of data that banks possess? To find out, we'll be talking with Greg Blousey at Salesforce. Welcome to BAI Banking Strategies, where each week we'll focus on the key issues facing financial services leaders. We'll bring you objective opinions and actionable insights that'll help you power smart decisions. I'm your host, Lou Carlozo, the managing editor of BAI. Come on in. Thanks very much for tuning into the podcast. It is wonderful to have you here with us. And before we get to Greg Blousey of Salesforce, we want to let you know that as part of the BAI Beacon experience, we're excited to share that you can be among the first to hear a major announcement from Salesforce about the evolution of the financial services cloud. This will take place Wednesday, October 4th at BAI Beacon in Atlanta, Georgia at 10, 10 a.m. on stage two. So don't miss it. Don't miss BAI Beacon. For more information, be sure to visit BAI.org slash BAI Beacon. And today, a special treat, we have Greg Blousey. Greg is a director and a banking industry lead at Salesforce, joining the organization earlier this year. In his role at Salesforce, Greg serves as a subject matter expert to account executives on the financial services team and spends a great deal of time meeting with customers and prospects to proliferate best practices in customer engagement, which is the topic we are gonna be addressing today. Greg, pleasure to have you here with us. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here, Lou. And when we talk about customer engagement, customer expectations of banks are clearly changing. What do you think some of the drivers of this shift are and what can banks do about it? I know the Uber example gets used all the time, but there's a really good reason why. And that's because it's awesome. Uber does a wonderful job of being relevant at the right time to people. And when I think about banking, finances are some of the most important things to people. Why aren't we just as relevant in Uber? Let me give you an example, Lou. So I was in uh, San Francisco probably a couple months ago now, and I was trying to communicate with a colleague and I didn't have their mobile number, right? So I quickly went out on Facebook Messenger and I found them. And I connected on Facebook Messenger and I was just communicating my whereabouts and that I was running a little bit late for the meeting. And in the context of that conversation, I said something like, oh, I'll catch a ride over there. And the next thing I know, up pops a message from Uber to say, would you like a ride? And I could have ordered my ride right there in the middle of my conversation. And I think that's a really good example of what I mean when I think about how relevant financial services are. So let's think about it this way. So let's say I'm out shopping and I see a killer pair of shoes and I want these shoes because my old ones need a new sole and I just want to buy a new pair of shoes. So I'm commenting about them and I'm talking to a friend and I say, oh, I don't know if I can afford these shoes. Why couldn't something just as easily pop up and say, check your balance, right? Maybe I'm going someplace that's cash only, so I'll be right there. I got to swing buying ketchup, some cash. Why not? Where's the nearest ATM? 
So it's those experiences that are translating through and really placing high expectations on an industry that customers should have a lot of trust in. But right now, do they? So banks have a way to go. There's also been this spotlight on sales practices at some banks. How do you think banks need to react to this? And what role do you think technology can play in terms of bringing the game up? Wow, 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 is this a hot topic? This is certainly on the minds, not just of the banks, but of their customers as well. We have to acknowledge that the sales models that we have historically operated on, those being more transactional or product-based, really need to shift to become more needs-based and more life event-based. So really thinking about selling to customers the right thing, not, oh boy, I've got to sell another money market account because my quota is 25 accounts this month. So I think that that shift from transactional to relational is really, really important. But that's going to lay out some other challenges, I think, for banks to tackle, right? Because now it was easy to measure widgets, but how do you measure behavior? that a banking or branch manager or a small business banker, whatever the case may be, is selling the right thing. How do you know that? So I think technology in that instance in particular can play a really important part. You know, why not equip your bankers with the tools to be able to make those recommendations the right way and at the right time? and of the right product, not necessarily what the bank wants to sell, right? And then consequently, how do you have accountability or build accountability and tracking around that into your process? And then, you know, what metrics result from that? There's a few things I think banks should think about doing to support all of those efforts. The first one is really thinking about what an intelligent customer profile looks like. Oftentimes you hear banks talk about a 360 degree view of the customer. And Lou, I gotta tell you, I cringe a little bit. I'll be really honest with you when I hear that (laughs) because banks don't lack data. And so if you just willy nilly throw out what you might think to be a 360 degree view of the customer, maybe that's relevant for one job family, but not the other, right? So when I say intelligent customer profile, what I really mean is the most complete picture of a customer's relationship with the bank that's relevant to that person who's interacting with the customer at that point. The other thing is putting in what I would call governance processes or consent. So as I think about some of the challenges that have surfaced with the banks in the news, where was the customer's consent in all of this? And how do you make record of that and do it in a non-rigid kind of way where it just sort of feels natural to the customer that, yep, I agree to this and I consent to go ahead and open this account. So I think people are really going to need to be thinking about the transformations that they need to make in those terms. You mentioned the data element of it. Banks obviously have no shortage of data, maybe so much that they don't really know what to do with it. How would you recommend sifting through data for meaningful signals that are actionable? And how do you scale that? (laughs) It's a tough question. When you start to think about data, Data might exist in places that the bank doesn't necessarily own, but could leverage. So I think about things like social channels, where there might be some buying signals or some needs signals being given. And how do you listen 
in a non-creepy kind of way, right? And be able to <laughs> absorb or digest that data and help put it together in the context of the story. So another topic that a lot of folks are interested in these days is artificial intelligence. Banks aren't any stranger to this technology. I mean, it first started appearing in the 80s in banks, primarily in detecting fraudulent activity. The challenge was that it lived just in that application. Its usability was limited to a very select few at a bank, likely backroom people. But where the power of data comes in is really taking that data, scrubbing it, finding patterns, learning around it, and using the data to prioritize someone's day for them, for example, or to address a potential or rising service issue, or to present something as maybe a next best action to take with the customer, whether that be make a phone call, touch base, or a next best offer. So it's when you think about being able to have an artificial intelligence tool that has access to a lot of data behind the scenes, but then can just as easily be extended to the front line in a scalable way to be consumed. That's where the power of data is. And so this is a very, very hot topic in our industry right now. And one that I think we're just gonna see get better and better as the technology around this matures. I'm really excited about it, frankly. And you know, some folks might be scared of artificial intelligence. I think of Arnold Schwarzenegger in The Terminator um, <laughs> when I think about artificial intelligence. And it shouldn't be that scary, right? A lot of good can take place, but then there's also the dimension of time. Give us some perspective on the role that you believe technology plays in banking across the entire life cycle of the customer relationship. It's a hot topic right now. Yeah. So, you know, Lou, when I think about the customer life cycle, I tend to think of what I would call six distinct stages. The first stage really is taking a marketing message and turning that into a prospect. So in other words, there are a lot of people out there that could be potential buyers of a bank's services that may not have any relationship with them whatsoever, but you don't even know their name, their address, phone number, anything about them or where they live. So technology can play a role in identifying predictive audiences and getting a marketing message to them, whether that be through Facebook or Twitter or whatever, you know, social channel. And then eventually that person raises their digital hand to the point where we're at stage two, which is really then this taking that prospect that we now know and getting their first product in their hand to really turn them into a customer. So making that initial sale. So that would obviously include the onboarding process. And there's a lot of data sources available out there. Why can't you streamline that information and make that process less painful for a customer, right? And then it is selling onto that account as well. So it's making sure that up front, you're really doing a great job of making sure that what you get set up for the customer and what you get going are the right things for them and that they're all working properly. So it's that fulfillment, right? Which I would say is step three. And then over the course of time, step four starts to enter the place. And that's really when you're taking a look at the account or the accounts as the case may be and understanding the customer's behaviors or patterns, seeing what it is that you can learn from them. And then it's taking transactions and making a service out of it. 
how do you really do a customer justice by providing proactive service to them. So, hey, I noticed that every month you're making six withdrawals on this account. That's the maximum you can make. Is there a need you have to continue to draw that? So it's really turning a potential service issue into an opportunity for conversation. And then that final stage is this really service and grow. So you exceed your customer's expectations. And how do you take everything you know about the customer, everything you've learned about the customer over the course of time, and not just about the customer, but maybe even understanding their household and all the different parties involved and really use that to grow your business. You know, whether that be through things like quarterly reviews, for example, where you're getting in front of a customer, which might be something you'd see more commonly in private banking space or in the mass market in retail, being really proactive about the service that you're providing and using that as an opportunity to level set what customers have and for opportunities to sort of make adjustments a tweak. And that's really how you set yourself apart. And if we were to add a seventh step onto that for banks, I would have to think it would be keeping track of the wisdom that you put out there in terms of maintaining the relationship the changing sales practices, the roles of technology, some fantastic information today, Greg. Thank you so much for making time to be on the podcast. Absolutely. My pleasure, Leo. Anytime. Greg Blousey is a director and banking industry lead at Salesforce. Be sure to look for Greg on LinkedIn. And here are three key takeaways from today's podcast. Number one, for banks, competition from non-traditional financial services providers is fierce. Bottom line, customers have alternatives, so it's up to banks to get creative and win business back. Uber represents an example of a company that can turn a pain point into a pinpoint response. Banks need to consider ways that they can be equally proactive and original. Number two, in terms of the best sales practices for banks, the model needs to move from one that is transactional to relational. Salespeople need to look at needs and life events and base their strategies on those. It's a matter of offering the right product at the right time in a person's life and building intelligent customer profiles that offer the most complete picture of a relationship that's relevant to the person who interacts with the customer. And number three, the life cycle of a customer relationship can be divided into six stages, taking into account how to grow the relationship so it penetrates from one customer into an entire household or family. In this way, you win trust, you win business, and you expand your network as you expand the reputation of your financial services organization. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast. Be sure to check out our ever-growing archive of podcasts at BAI.org. And as you check out our archive, connect with BAI on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook to stay up to date on BAI's latest and greatest. Be sure to tune in next week when a new podcast goes up. I'm Lou Carloso, the managing editor of BAI. We'll see you soon. So long. Thank you.